evening to you. Welcome in. It is time for Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. Yeah, it's middle of November. It's 32 degrees outside, but we can talk baseball. We'll talk baseball for the next hour, leading you up to... Actually, we're leading you up to Bucks basketball tonight. I was thinking about this earlier. I don't know if, in my time doing this show, if this show has ever served as a de facto lead-in to Milwaukee Bucks basketball. I can't think of a time that that has ever been the case. Ashton is looking at something. Maybe he's not. Ashton's not looking at anything. He's sitting there, just sitting there, ready to do nothing if needed. <laughs> now he's waving at me. So, uh, yeah, we lead you right into coverage. Of, we, we've got all three of the pro sports covered tonight because we had Packers playbook for the two hours in front of me. Now we've got... Brewers Weekly, and we're going into Bucks basketball. It's uh, it's just a a uh, a smorgasbord. How about that? It's just a smorgasbord of all things Wisconsin professional sports. If you want to join the program, you can do so by calling or texting into the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers over the course of the next hour, you can also tweet into the program if you would like at Matt Pauley on air. M A T T P A U L E Y on air is the Twitter handle. Here's what we've got coming up on the program. We're at a slow point of the season. By the way, this always happens. I, I say always happen. This happened last year. This happened this year. In other sports, free agency opens, and it's just like signing after signing after signing. The, the NBA is the craziest. You've got Adrian Wojnarowski just working overtime as steam is coming off of his fingers in the NBA right when free agency opens. Free agency's here in baseball. And... You've got a you've got things trickling here and there, but for the most part, it's a it's a slow burn in baseball. And last year, it was it was a slower burn than we had ever seen. And I think that's this is a really important off season, just in terms of the direction of the business of baseball. And I don't know if the average person out there even cares about this. They just want the roster to be put together, and you get to spring training, you get through spring training, and game one, you've got your roster all set. But last year, we had the situation where signings were really, really so slow that the Players Association filed a grievance and basically said there was collusion going on amongst Major League Baseball owners on not signing players. It was... It was historically slow last year, and there were a lot of players, some really good players, who did not have jobs when spring training opened. Remember the Players Association set up their own spring training last year? Did they go to the IMG Academy, or they went to somewhere like that? And they brought in some, some former Major League coaches, and they were running spring training for free agents so that they could be sharp going into once they would get signed. So that got done last year, and everybody just kind of assumed, okay, that's an anomaly. That's not going to happen again. That it's It was just a weird set of circumstances that led to it. So here we are. It's the off season. Free agency is open. Does it happen again this year? And if it happens again this year, I think there are going to be more wide-ranging implications to it. I think the Players Association is going to get upset. 
I think the Players Association is going to try to push for some things to change. And I think the the discord, and there's not a lot of it. Baseball, for the most part, everybody's pretty happy with each other. I mean, there's always going to be issues between players and owners and agents and owners and agents and players and everything. Like It's never going to be perfect. But if we have this really slow offseason again this year, like we did last year, I think that's going to be enough that, the Players Association, the various team representatives are going to come together and see what they can do from a player standpoint to try to avoid this happening. If I was Major League Baseball, and maybe this is too simplistic, if I'm Major League Baseball, I consider as an owner to try to push forward a little bit just so we don't see that situation. That's... And the Brewers weren't included in that last year. Remember, the Brewers throw a, threw a lot of money at uh, at Lorenzo Kane. But basically the way it worked last year was you had the big signings early on. We'll have that again this year. Bryce Harper is not going to be a free agent off for all that long. And then there was a whole lot of nothing. And then finally the signings started to trickle in. So just, to, just something to keep an eye out on as we go into uh, – as we go into – this this off season to see what's going to happen. I remember we had David Stearns on the Brewers general manager during the Brewers on deck event last year, and I don't know if it was Greg or if it was me that asked him, but I remember uh, I remember David answering the question, basically saying that he thought last year's off season was a rare thing and that it wouldn't happen again. And that's that, that's a paraphrase. I don't have the exact quote uh, or soundbite in front of me, but even a general manager last year basically saying that uh, they thought that last year was an anomaly and that something else is going to happen this offseason, so we just have to wait and see. All right, here's what we've got coming up on the program tonight. Uh, we are going to talk about the Brewers' coaching situation. Their coaching staff still missing a couple uh, pieces. We did not have a show Last week, the Bucks had a Thursday night game last week, so we were off. So we've got a lot, lot to get into here on this week's program. But want to touch on the departure of pitching coach Derek Johnson, uh, the reported hiring of a new hitting coach in Andy Haynes, uh, the fact that they still do have a couple coaching positions open, and what that, how that might impact this team moving forward. So we'll touch on that coming up in uh, just a bit. Also want to start, and this is going to be. I don't know the exact date off the top of my head. I have to look it up. But uh, we're, we're coming up on the point where teams have to make the decision to ar- go to arbitration with a player or non-tender them. And the Brewers have 14 arbitration-eligible players. And we're going to go over that list. And I think for most of them, it's pretty clear-cut whether to offer arbitration or not. But there's a few of the guys that I think it's a tough decision for the team. And the biggest name under the category of tough decision is Jonathan Scope. And we're going to touch on that coming up later on in the program as well. We have you till 9 o'clock. It is Brewers Weekly. We'll uh, get into the coaching staff situation and specifically the departure of Brewers pitching coach Derek Johnson and what that means for this team going forward and how it will affect things at the big league level next year. We'll do that next. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. Glad to be talking to Brewers Baseball with you. If you want to join us, you can do so. 
On the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. That's 414-799-1620. You can also uh, tweet into the program if you'd like, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Uh, I'm curious, would like to hear from you if you are concerned about Brewers pitching going forward without pitching coach Derek Johnson. I think it caught all of us off guard when it trickled out that he was going to be leaving the team to go to Cincinnati. Now, I can't blame the guy. Uh, he's going to get a lot more money. I mean, if, if you can believe everything that's being reported out there, and I don't think an exact money figure has been reported, at least not that I've seen, but I think we can all pretty much believe that he's going to make, to do two things, get closer to his home base in Nashville and also go get paid a lot more money. And if there's one thing we know about the Brewers, one thing we know about David Stearns is Stearns is, is disciplined, financially disciplined, asset disciplined. And what I mean by that is you put a value on somebody, you put a value on something, and you're not willing to go much further than than what you value it at. And that's not to say that Derek Johnson is not in a is is not a very good pitching coach because he is. He's a fantastic pitching coach. The Cincinnati Reds would not be giving him tons of money and gone after him if not for the fact that he's very good at his job. Here's what I'm here's what I'm most interested in. Look, if I told you that not having Derek Johnson next year is going to have, it's going to impact the Brewers this way, this way, and this way, I'd be talking out of my backside. We don't know what the impact is. If you're going to call me and you're going to say, the Brewers are going to be really affected by no Derek Johnson next year because of all these things, I know it. I'm convinced that that's going to, they're going to take a step back because of no Derek Johnson. I'm not saying that what you're saying won't happen, but I'm saying you can't be sure of it. There's no way to really know what the loss of Derek Johnson is going to mean for this team. Also, we, we really can't evaluate it before we even find out who the next pitching coach is going to be. That's the other side of it. You know, a lot of times people jump off the cliff, and there's, there, there's no reason to jump yet because you don't know who's coming in. Here's what I think is going to be interesting. The Brewers have a have a, a system, a philosophy, a pitching philosophy. And Derek Johnson was very, very good at being able to help pitchers utilize that philosophy to be their best self. That's what he did. And he was he was very good at it. And in no way, shape, or form am I trying to dismiss Derek Johnson with what I'm about to say. I feel like I'm going to have to repeat this a million times. Derek Johnson is a really, really good pitching coach, and not having him in the Brewers organization and on the big league staff, it is a loss. It is They would be better off, I think, still having Derek Johnson. But that being said, here's an, I'm going to make an odd comparison. You know how sometimes we refer to quarterbacks in football as a system quarterback you see it a lot more in college than the nfl but you see it you see it in football a system quarterback a quarterback who is able to be really really successful because of the system that they play in 
and you could put almost any quarterback with a certain skill set into that system, and they are going to put up ridiculous numbers because of the system that they're playing in. You can think of all those years at Texas Tech. Year after year after year, they're putting up like 50 points a game with a bunch of quarterbacks that never had any success in the NFL. They were system quarterbacks. What we're going to learn right now about the Brewers is, is the pitching philosophy more important than the pitching coach? Is the philosophy, assuming you have a coach who can coach that philosophy, Again, I'm not trying to discount Derek Johnson. And you still have to pick the right pitching coach. If you bring in a pitching coach who can't coach that philosophy, then it's out the door. But what we're going to learn moving forward is the philosophy that the Brewers have put together from a pitching standpoint that is utilized at the big league level but permeates throughout the entire minor league organization. If... That is the thing that has allowed Brewers pitchers to, for the most part, overachieve. For a Wade Miley to do what he did. For a Yolish Chassin to do what he did. Derek Johnson's a really good pitching coach. But can they go get another pitching coach that has a grasp on that philosophy, who can mimic the results of a Derek Johnson? That's the question. We don't know the answer to that question. We simply do not know the answer to that question. If if you think everything's going to be you know butterflies and roses with the new pitching coach, you might be right, you might be wrong. If you think they're going to take a major step back, you might be right, you might be wrong. There is no way to know what's going to happen and the impact of Derek Johnson leaving the organization. Let's go to David in Kenosha. Hey, David, you're on WTMJ. Hey, man. I'm so... I, you know, you kind of stated my point, but I think it all really does depend on who the next pitching coach is that comes in. My biggest thing with DJ leaving is, you know, even all the new pitchers last year, like Chassin and Wade Miley, right away they all talked about how much they loved Derek Johnson, how he really helped them a lot. Uh, you know, Chassin developed a new pitch this year. I think a lot of that came with the help of Derek Johnson. So I'm kind of worried, but part of me is really just waiting to see who the next pitching coach is going to be. It's it's inter- it is and you're right. Uh, two things that you said were spot on. A his relationship with pitchers was incredible. Pitchers loved working with him. So you are totally right on that. And then the second thing is that next pitching coach does need to be able to recognize things the way he did. That you get a Yoli Shasin type, and you can say, you know what, this might work for you. That's the that's what this next pitching coach needs to be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know a lot of the names out there that are being looked at. I mean, at this point, where the Brewers are at, I'm hoping it's not like a rookie coach or some new guy. You know, it, it needs to be somebody with some experience. Is what I believe. Yeah, I, I think you're right, David. I appreciate it. I, when you say experience, I don't know if that for sure means major league experience. You know, you look at what Derek Johnson was doing. He cut his teeth. Uh, as a college pitching coach, he was working at Vanderbilt. He was a minor league pitching coordinator before he got to uh, before he got to the Brewers. So I'm not saying the, the prerequisite has to be that this is somebody who has been a major league pitching coach. In fact, I don't think if I had to bet, I bet they bring somebody in who's never been a major league pitching coach. But I think they're going to get somebody. The teaching aspect is important. Derek Johnson was a teacher. Yeah, there's some pitching coaches who are. 
They're coaches in the sense that they're going to direct you in one direction or the other. That's a little bit different than a teacher. And I think Derek Johnson was a teacher. You mentioned the new pitch for Yulish Chassin. That's something that a teacher does. He he wrote a book on pitching, for gosh sakes. So you get a guy who's been a minor league pitching coordinator. You get a guy who's got some experience coaching at the lower levels. Get a guy who's coached at college, work with kids. You bring in a teacher who's got a firm grasp of the Brewers' pitching philosophy and also somebody who is known to cultivate good relationships with players, I think that's the equation for the next pitching coach. And I think we should be able to trust David Stearns and Craig Council that they're going to go find that guy. And it's probably going to make a lot of sense. Maybe they bring somebody in from the organization who's, uh, or, or maybe they bring somebody from the outside. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I would I would suspect within the next couple of weeks we'll know. I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I don't think we're doing uh, – see, Packers play Thursday next week, so we will not have a show. I would bet next time we have a show two weeks from now that we know who the Brewers' pitching coach is going to be. 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. It's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tender, non-tender. 14 Brewers players are arbitration eligible, including Jonathan Scope. We'll talk about that next. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly continues here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauly. If you want to join us, you can do so. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. It is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we are going to go through the 14 players that are arbitration eligible for the Brewers and make the decision yes or no. Yes, bring them back where you offer them arbitration or you offer them uh, some sort of contract to avoid arbitration, or no, where you non-tender them and they are not back in the organization. But want to open that conversation specifically talking about one guy, Jonathan Scope. Brewers gave up a lot to acquire... Jonathan Scope. Uh, they gave up. Uh, Luis Ortiz was the big player that they gave up. There was, there was. It, it was not just a you know a minor leaguer thrown in sort of situation when they acquired Jonathan Scope. We can all sit here and say Jonathan Scope did not work out for the Brewers. Had a couple moments. Had a couple big hits. Obviously, that home run against San Francisco was the big one. Uh, had another one that helped win a game as well. But for the most part, he underachieved, and he did not. Uh, fans were not a fan of of Jonathan Scope. They were ready for the team to move on. And if they would have gone to the World Series, I'm not convinced Jonathan Scope would have been on the World Series roster. He did very little in the postseason as well. His arbitration projection is 10.1 million dollars. So when we have the discussion of do you bring somebody back or not, part of the discussion is the amount of money that's going to be connected with them. It's not just, yeah, you bring them back and you you set a salary for them. Jonathan Scope, if he goes to arbitration, is expected to be north of $10 million. That's a fair amount of salary for for a team that is going to be north of $100 million dollars uh, on the roster, that's still eight, nine, ten percent of the total roster of what you're paying out this upcoming season. And with 14 players arbitration eligible, there are a ton of guys 
who are going to uh, be getting raises this year, where payroll is just going to be going up from last year to this year because so many guys are due for raises. So would you bring Jonathan Scope back at $10.1 million? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. It's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can also tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Let's bring in Doug and Baraboo. Hey, Doug, good to talk to you. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, good evening, Matt. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for the uh, analysis of the Derek Johnson situation. That'll be interesting to see who they, they get in. Now, before you brought up the the uh, the scope arbitration. I was calling in just to get one little thing off my chest. I just had one uh, head scratcher during the whole playoff season, and uh, and it was in Game Seven when Scope came in the pinch hit. Um, I, it's, that still bugs me, and I just wanted to get that off my chest. And if if I carry that topic that you have through, I would I would say not to bring him back. But I had one other thing I wanted to ask you just to get get 2018 behind me is in game 163, uh, Jeffress wasn't available and he wasn't even suited up. And we never did hear what the situation was. And I. Dub, can I stop I, you? Can I stop you there? Because we did hear. Um, okay, and I, I didn't hear. It wasn't really well. It, I, I wish it would have been a little bit more publicized because I've got a lot of people asking this, so I'm, I'm glad you asked this question so we can address it. He deals with epilepsy, he, oh. uh, and he has flare-ups every once in a while, and he oh. had a flare-up. He talked, to, uh, he talked to the Journal Sentinel about this, and that day he had an epileptic flare-up, and that's oh. why he was unavailable. Oh, okay. I just, well, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I missed that. I just, just kind of something that I, I missed, I guess. So yeah, no, that's fine. Again, it wasn't really well publicized, but I do. There were all these conspiracy theories. Oh, he started drinking again. He was on drugs. He no, he was a no. bad teammate, like something like that. And it was it wasn't any of that. And you know, he's somebody who does a really good job handling his epilepsy. But whatever, I don't know the details of what happened that day. But yeah. for whatever it was, uh, the epilepsy affected his ability to be available that day. Okay, well, thanks for that, and uh, good to hear you back. We're it's Thursday night, so absolutely, Doug. Appreciate the phone call at four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and Doug has a vote against Jonathan Scope being brought back. I'm with Doug. I'm with Doug because of the ten million dollars. I don't pay Jonathan Scope ten million dollars. I just think that's too much money for a guy who you're not real guaranteed. There's no guarantee that he's going to find the Baltimore version of himself. And there are a lot, there are a lot of second basemen that are going to be available on the free agent market this year. Jed Lowry, Daniel Murphy, uh, DJ LeMahieu. That's a guy that uh, Brewers fans have talked about uh, a fair amount. Uh, Ian Kinsler, Daniel Descalso, Neil Walker is going to be available Again, there's just so much out there. If if the second base market in free agency was not just filled with available players, then maybe I would feel a little bit different about this. But can you get a DJ LeMahieu for $10 million? 
Maybe that's a little bit light for, for LeMahieu. He's a guy who's won a National League batting title. But you can be in the neighborhood. Neil Walker, he's somebody who's been here. You're not going to have to pay him anywhere near $10 million. And even if Jonathan Scope has a, a pretty solid bounce-back season, what what are you getting more value for? A Neil Walker coming in at you know half of that? Or... Or scope, uh, you know, there's just it's the guarantee. And here's the other side of it, and, and this is where I kind of bounce back and forth. You got to remember about Keston Hira. At some point this season, Keston Hira, one of the Brewers' top prospects, I think he is listed as the top prospect in the organization. I assume he's going to start the season at AAA. If he doesn't start the season at AAA, he is going to be at AAA very, very, very soon. And you got to you want to see him get to the big leagues at some point in the year. Now, if you bring Jonathan Scope back, you're bringing Jonathan Scope back on a one-year deal, whether it's arbitration or whether you agree to something else, with the idea that he's keeping the seat warm for Keston Hira. And that's why, you know, if, if they found a way to move on from Jonathan Scope and could bring Mike Moustakis back and put Travis Shaw back at second, and Moustakis play third, and then eventually Hira gets here, and Moustakis is on a one-year deal where you you essentially keep that seat warm by having Moustakis at third at Sean second. I'd love a situation like that. I don't get the sense that's going to happen. But it is part of the decision into whether or not you bring back scope has to do with when Keston Hira is going to get to the big leagues. Let's go to Mel on the north side. Hey, Mel, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thank you uh, for letting me come on. Uh, I've got two guys. One, I'm sorry, I like Scope. My concept with him was, what did he do to earn $10 million? I thought before he got here, he was an all-star. I thought before he got here, he hit home runs. I don't know what your your opinion of his defense is, but uh, I thought it was, you know, relatively good. I would like to see him get another shot in spring training for that uh, 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 second-base position. Uh, I think he might would give him more time, less pressure. Uh, The opportunity for a full uh, spring training could really uh, come around. He was an all-star, for for, uh, God's sake. That shouldn't just be uh, thrown away. He he earns $10 million through arbitration. You don't get to that level being a... uh, Bullwinkle, so uh, and Broxton. Uh, Broxton's got to be probably the top defensive player uh, uh, in our our side of uh, the league, uh, the National League. And I think they need to work on him in trying to improve and be a little bit more patient with that bat. I think he can bring it around. He's shown power, power. Just give him an opportunity. Show him the right way. What happened with the uh, shortstop? They waited on him, and he and he did what great. And I think he should be given the same opportunity as uh, Arcia did to improve with his bat. All right, Mel. I appreciate the phone call. And I do one one area I definitely agree with Mel. I, as bad as Jonathan Scope was with the Brewers. I don't think he would be that bad again over the course of a full season. I do think he would uh, turn it around. How much does he turn it around? Is he worth $10 million? That's the question. We'll go through all 14 of the arbitration-eligible play- uh, players. Say that three times real fast, right? This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. 
Brewers Weekly rolling on here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley. 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so 14 players for the Brewers are arbitration eligible. 14 is a big number. The Diamondbacks also have 14 arbitration eligible players. Let's see if any other team has more than 14. The Red Sox actually have 12. No, 14. So the Brewers are tied with the Diamondbacks. And here's what that's a sign of. A team with a young group that has got some service time under their belts and they're coming into a period where they are arbitration eligible. We always knew, as the Brewers have been have, have put together a roster salary that has been quite small for a while, while well, all these players who were under club control and were making hundreds of thousands of dollars now get to arbitration eligibility, and all of a sudden those salaries go up. And that's something to watch. That's going to be that's something that David Stearns is going to have to manage moving forward, get, making sure to keep this roster and, and the payroll at a point where it works and also creating enough flexibility where if you need to go sign a Gio Gonzalez or go acquire a Gio Gonzalez on August 31st, that you've got the financial ability to do so. So here are the 14 players that the Brewers have arbitration eligible. We already mentioned Jonathan Scope. After that, Travis Shaw, Corey Knable, Jimmy Nelson, Ernan Perez, Junior Guerra, Zach Davies, Domingo Santana, Manny Pena, Eric Krantz, Dan Jennings, Xavier Cedeno, and Tyler Saladino. For me, a lot of this is pretty cut and dry on who you are going to uh, end up bringing back. And the way it works, you can offer arbitration, and then when you offer arbitration, you head towards an arbitration hearing. Between that moment and the arbitration hearing, you can work out a contract and avoid arbitration, or your other option is to completely non-tender them, and that makes them a free agent. Jonathan Scope, to me, is the most interesting one. He's the one that I think can go either way, yes or no. For me, the next group, Travis Shaw, Corey Knable, Jimmy Nelson, Ernan Perez, Junior Guerra, Zach Davies, Domingo Santana, Manny Pena, Eric Kratz, those guys are all yeses for me. You know, even somebody like Eric Kratz, even if there's no guarantee that he's going to make the team next year, you're looking at an arbitration projection of $1.7 million. It's worth committing $1.7 million to Eric Kratz to have him available. And he obviously endeared himself to the fan base. We don't know what's going to happen with Domingo Santana. It's worth $2 million to keep him under contract, and he's somebody that you could still possibly spin off. I think he helped out his value a little bit with the way he played late. Dan Jennings, Xavier Cedeno, and Tyler Saladino, the only thing about those guys that would lead me towards a yes is their numbers. You know, Dan Jennings is a left-hander. Left-handers don't grow on trees, but I... I would probably say no to Dan Jennings. I'd probably say no to Xavier Cedeno. I'd probably say no to Tyler Saladino. I think you can go get guys like that uh, on the free agent market, especially if free agency moves slow. Somebody like Dan Jennings, you acquired in a trade last year. It's very possible that you can get another guy like that again. You know, Last year we saw them non-tender a Jared Hughes. Hughes had a really good season with the Pirates. But if they're going to non-tender Jared Hughes last year, to me that would indicate they would probably non-tender Dan Jennings this year. Maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of the roster, I think uh, uh, most of those guys are back. And 
quite honestly, Tyler Saladino is probably the only guy that, to me, is I would be pretty darn surprised if he got offered arbitration. And he only makes a million dollars on the arbitration projection. So maybe you bring him back because even if he's not on the team anymore, you're not eating that much salary. Uh, but it, when you're when you're looking at this list and trying to find guys that they're going to non-tender, I think you look to Jennings, Sedano, and Saladino, and those would be the guys that, at the very least, are going to be tough decisions. Maybe they bring back Jennings. Maybe they bring back Sedano. None of those guys are even going to touch $2 million in all likelihood. You can probably bring them back on a deal that even maybe pays them a little bit less than that to avoid arbitration. So those are the 14 guys, and we'll see what ends up happening with those guys moving forward. 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. Do you disagree with any of my projections, any of those guys that you for sure uh, would like to see back or any of those guys that you would rather not see uh, and disagree with what I'm saying? Love to hear from you. You can also tweet in at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T, P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. It is Brewers Weekly. We're back with more in a moment on WTMJ. Brewers Weekly rolling on here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley, 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Had something interesting come up in baseball over the last couple weeks. The New York Mets hiring Brody Van Wegenen to be their new general manager. And he is a former player agent. In fact, he has been the former player agent for a whole bunch of New York Mets, including Tim Tebow. Sidebar, he's going to start the season at AAA Syracuse this upcoming season. At least that's what they say. Sidebar, over. This creates a bit of a situation. Now, if Van Wegenen is the only guy who really comes from the player-agent ranks to move into an executive role, then it's not an issue. But let's... Let's go to a bizarro world where the Mets actually turn around and get good. And all of a sudden, it becomes a trend or a fad to go hire former player agents to be general managers. If I'm the Major League Baseball Players Association, that concerns me. That really concerns me. One guy, one team, a team that's mostly irrelevant, doesn't bother me. And it has bothered some, but I, I'm whatever. It's fine. It's it's you know it's it's one of a handful. But when you've got these player agents who know everything about their clients, everything about their clients, and now all of a sudden they're in a role where they're the ones offering contracts, I think that hurts the process for players being able to maximize their values. And look, I know you're probably sitting here saying, well, these guys get paid millions of dollars. Well, you know who's paying these guys who make millions of dollars? Guys who have billions of dollars. If you want to be on somebody's side on this, be with the players. They make a whole lot less money than the owners do. I'm not saying they're underpaid. I'm not saying they're low paid. I'm not doing any of that. But we got a bunch of billionaires who are are being really stingy with money, and it's it's an odd situation now where a player, a former player agent, is moving into the role of offering contracts to players. It is a slippery, slippery slope. And by the way, what I said about being stingy with money, that does not apply to the Brewers. 
They, you know, the, the term punching above the weight is something that Mark Atanasio has said before. They punch above their weight. You look at the money they spent last year. They're not afraid to spend money. It's a good thing right now to watch the way the Brewers are able to spend money despite being in the market size that they are in. This is Brewers Weekly. We wrap up the show. Get you set for Bucks basketball. That's next on WTMJ. Starting to wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. We're still waiting to find out if Christian Yelich is going to win the National League MVP. I think he will, but we do know that he has won the Silver Slugger. He wins the Silver Slugger for right fielder, so congratulations to Christian Yelich. He's got to be the MVP. He's got to be. You remember when voting was due? They did at the end of the season, so uh, voting was due right after game 163. Yeah, he's going to be the MVP, I think. All right, that's it for the show. No show next week because of uh, Packers football. Don't forget Brewers X-Trains podcast, always available on iTunes at WTMJ.com. Bucks, Warriors on the way next right here on WTMJ.